0: The audio invasion is upon you in this corner with brian campbell is back in the building and ready to pass guard on your inhibitions with a rear naked choke of what usada is now calling performance enhancing audio the brian campbell is the voice that you hear continuing the launch of a new era in mma audio welcome to the machina No, 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 Joe Rogan, not that era. I'm talking about the BC and King Mo Show as Muhammad Luwal joins me once again on the MMA edition. To recap Saturday's UFC 216 card from Las Vegas, the King and I will chat about Conor McGregor's future and the aftermath of interim lightweight champion Tony Ferguson's statement victory and reconfigure our all-time great rankings now that Demetrius Johnson continues to climb the ladder of history. We also offer solutions to MMA's current issues with weight cutting and relive the glory days of heavyweight boxing in the 1990s you won't want to miss. King Mo will also share the latest on his MMA injury issues that have forced him to pull out of next week's fight and his recent foray back into the world of pro wrestling. Very interesting stuff. You're going to like what you hear today, I guarantee it, as we pull no punches with another impressive performance. I'm not impressed by your performance. All right, all right. But before we unleash the audio fury, let me remind you to check out our other offerings from the ITC podcast this week as we recap WWE Hell in a Cell and our special bonus wrestling edition, which featured interviews with the likes of Sinkara, Bobby Roode, and Brizongo. And don't miss our traditional Wednesday Pro Wrestling Show as we go one on one with Finn Balor talking Bray Wyatt and much, much more. But without any further ado, it's time to tag in the King. Enjoy. MMA Royalty is back on the In This Corner podcast. As your boy, BC welcomes in King Mo, Muhammad Lawal. King Mo, the reviews are in and they say, you know, this this pairing, this duo. Might be MMA's best tag team since the Diaz brothers. So if that's true, which one are you, Nick or Nate, in this in this scenario?
1: Uh I'm Nick. <laughs> I, I thought you know, actually I'll, I'll be Nate. I'll be the younger one. So you'll be you'll be the richer one, right? You'll be the guy who's cashing in these days. Well, I, you know, he they both kind of cashing in actually.
0: That's true. That's true. Nick did get the GSP payday back in the day. Who knows? He may be getting some more in the future. But King Mo, you are back on the airwaves with us. But you were also in the news cycle for a few different things. And while we'll definitely get to every inch of UFC 216 in a moment, King Mo, we thought we were going to see you back in the cage next Friday. Bellator 185 from the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. You were going to face former light heavyweight champion Liam McGarry. Now you're out with a disclosed undisclosed injury. Can you disclose to us what is going on here?
1: Well, I, I can disclose to you guys that um, it's it as to do with my surgery. I had surgery, a Birmingham hip resurfacing done, and it's going to take a little more time to heal. I still, I still don't have full range of motion yet. I'm in my hip. But uh, that takes time. And also Liam McGeary got hurt too, so he's officially scratched in the fight.
0: He was going to face the replacement opponent on very little notice. He pulled out, like you mentioned. Unfortunate circumstances seems to be a nagging thing for you. Uh, what what does your future look like? I mean, is this going to something that you just have to rest off for a while and kind of reshuffle the deck and see where you're coming back in 2017 or 2018? Excuse me.
1: Well, it's just um, pretty much rest. You know, that's what's going to take because still, you know, the first time in a while. Last week, or actually three or four days ago, last week, um, I drilled wrestling, and when I, when, I, when I get taken down, I fall down. I still hear some clanking from the metal in my hip, so that's still kind of weird to me, actually. Um, not much pain, but uh, just a little swelling still. It it just comes and goes. It's gonna take time for the um the in, the surgery spot to to heal up.
0: Well, next Friday's card will still be going on, headlined by Gegard Mousasi in his Bellator debut against former middleweight champ Alexander Flamenco. We hope to see King Mo back in that cage. Hey, king Mo, there's still a Bellator light heavyweight championship out there currently around Ryan Bader's waist. I'm just saying it's not too late for the king to put the gold back around the waist. We saw you with the strike force belt back in the day. We got to see you with that Bellator crown to match the one you wear on your head, right?
1: Yeah, it's going to come. You know, I, I'll get my chance. I, I'm going to get that belt. Let me just heal up get things right, and then uh, I'm going to bang him out. Well, speaking of banging, he bangs, he bangs. We know King Mo bangs, he, as we've talked about in the
0: past, right? Wrestling plus, plus hands equals, equals trouble, equals danger for people. King Mo brings that equation in there. King Mo in the past has dabbled in the pro wrestling ranks, and guess what, people? He's back. He's back in your life in pro wrestling. Are we calling it Impact these days? The former TNA was, was GF Global Force for a while. Is it just Impact these days?
1: It's impact right now.
0: Well, King Mo made an impact this past week on the show. Basically, let me set the stage here. Okay. There's a really good kind of angle going on lately with the ATT MMA camp in South Florida involving Bobby Lashley. We know he's gone back and forth like King Mo between MMA and pro wrestling. Dan Lambert, the coach of, uh, of ATT down there has played a big role in this. Well, in this recent update, Moose, our guy, the former NFL lineman, Really needed to get to Bobby Lashley, so he invaded the gym. I want to play you the audio here of King Mo and what went on.
1: Make that sucker moose slow. You know what I'm saying? I don't like to call him moose. I call him Bullwinkle. To me, honestly, he's a joke. How you could come into our gym and try to disrespect us like that, man? I, I just don't get it. You come to our gym where we're training and try to, call, you know, pick a fight with Bobby Lashley while he's training? Come on, man, that's ridiculous. I'm gonna be real. It's like, you no. Know, I was watching Bobby because Bobby's working on his hands, looking quick, powerful. All, all I hear is bop, 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 because Bobby's landing good shots. Next this guy, you know, I hear some yelling. And I'm like, well, you know, whatever. I thought some guys, like, you know, getting into an argument. And then I see Moose come push Dan and walk in the cage. And the, the worst part about it is he's going walk in the cage disrespectfully with his shoes on. Didn't bow before he came to the cage. There's gym Etiquette, you know what I'm saying? And he isn't, if he doesn't understand that, he should step foot in this gym. So when he did that, I approached him. And was like, "Hey man, this, calm down, calm down." He pushes me in my home. This is my home, right here. This is American Top Team. Don't just dis- don't disrespect me in my home. When he did that, man, I just I just I just blacked out, man. Just just had to just try to dope, you know. Had a still on him. Hit him with a good. Went hit a quitter, man. I fight for a living, you know. This is, I I throw these for cash.
0: Wow. Okay. I love every part of this, Kingmo. I want to get through this. This is all true stuff, by the way. You do throw those for cash. You do possess the one hit quitter but I love the angle here because what, what you didn't hear or what you didn't see listening to that audio is Moose enters the cage. He pushes Bobby and then Kingmo blocks out and floors him with a right hand. Lashley takes over and attacks. Tell us about this angle. Tell us about shooting this. This, this took place, you know, a couple months ago, finally saw the light of day here, but great stuff, Kingmo.
1: Man, it, but like this, you know it's great when Dave Meltzer talks it up. Dave Absolutely. It up. If Dave Meltzer approves it, it's, it's gold. Well, and Dave uh,
0: Meltzer came out and basically said in, you know, in his Wrestling Observer that this is one of the better angles in wrestling we've seen anywhere, any promotion
1: over the past year. I honestly feel like it is too. I know it is. You know, um, I, I'm, I can't really speak on it too much, you know, cause I'm involved, but, When I see it, it blows my mind for real. It throws, it blows my mind because I know what we did and it's the way they put it out there, man. It looks, it looks great.
0: Well, Moose plays that plays the heel very well. I've really liked his development over the past year. When T, you know, TNA Impact, whatever you want to call it, he's got a great entrance, by the way. That theme song of Moose, where he comes out, you know, pumping his fist down and doing almost like the 2 toot locomotion move, and the fans are into it. He he can play, baby. He can play heel. He came looking for Bobby here, and we'd seen ATT the last few weeks. Anybody watching Impact, right? We've seen guys like Lee and Tebow jump the fence and come there and, and and beat down. It's been a fun angle. Dan Lambert, a natural. Sort of, you know, pro, re- pro wrestling talker himself in there. I like where this is going. It looks like King Mo that is headed toward Bound for Glory, November fifth, now in Ottawa. They're moving it above the border. It looks like some good, fun stuff is coming to the way of pro wrestling fans as this angle is heating up. I hope we end up seeing King Mo there. That's all I'm saying.
1: Man, you never know what can happen, man. Um, Anything it happen. It's pro wrestling. But remember this: you said Moose was the was the heel. Is he the heel? Or we see the face in the storyline. Think very, about it.
0: Very, very
1: interesting. There's some
0: layers to this. How good did it feel, though, King Mo, to 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 get back into this realm? We've seen you in TNA in the past. You you can do some things on the mic. You can do some things in the cage, bringing the realistic shoot fighting background. How good did it feel
1: to to sit down, shoot this angle? Man, it felt great. Like you see the smile on my face. <laughs> I, I can't wait to do some more. I hope you know we we can make more things happen. You know, I I can't go into detail. <laughs> You know, hopefully things get bigger and better. Well, I want to see how this
0: angle ends. Uh, King Bo, we've talked wrestling on there here in the past. On your first episode, you did reveal that, you know, back in your TNA days, you got to meet AJ Styles, who, of course, is on top today in WWE. You called him out in a fun way and said, hey, by the way, you know, that calf crusher that AJ Styles is doing, you know, that calf slicer kind of stole that from me. King Bo, you did say that on this air on these airwaves. That's a true story, right?
1: You ask Al Snow, being 110%, you know. um.
0: Well, I got a surprise for you, King Mo. We had AJ Styles on the wrestling version of the In This Corner podcast two weeks ago, and I took the time to have some fun with him and ask him that question. Here was AJ's response to King Mo. Yeah. uh, First of all, how can you steal something if you never saw it? So uh, I don't know. I don't know about the stealing. And if I were to steal a cast slizer, wouldn't that be from, like, one of the Gracies or something? Come on, King Mo. Come <laughs> on, man. You got you got a come on man from me. King Mo, you got the come on man from there. He's throwing a little fun shot at you. What do you got for that?
1: It's cool, but the um the Gracie's actually when the great the cap slicer came from anybody that can just grapple. I'm not a great grappler, but I saw the cap slicer, and I was like, hey, I'm gonna throw that in the mix. Al Snow, me and Al Snow literally went over because Al Snow's a catch wrestler. That's his background. I did a version of Cap Slicer. Then he tried to show me AJ Styles' version, kind of, that I did. You know what I'm saying? I did a different version. Than, and I, let me explain it. Okay, I, did, I did a version of slicer. Then he's like, hey, do it this way. And I was like, I don't like this way. It doesn't fit. Literally, three weeks later, I see AJ Styles do it the way Al Snow was telling me to do it.
0: hey look you know i like to do something called booking the damn territory nobody there's no wrestling promotion out there that lets me you know put the pencil to paper and get the book but if i got the book here king mo i see a submission match in my future and it's aj styles versus king mo And, and you know any thoughts to that down the road
1: i'm definitely down for that you know but aj aj's legit though you know he's uh one of the best i think one of the top five wrestlers in the world right now and uh Seeing him shine like this is amazing.
0: All right, let's put you on the spot while, we have, while we're we in the middle of wrestling before we tackle everything UFC 216. If you had to sort of give a pound-for-pound pound ranking of the moment in pro wrestling, who do you think are the one, two, three best workers right now today in the world?
1: Whoa. Okay, right now, Omega. Can you Omega? Oh, Yes. Oh. Number one with a bullet, and that—that's
0: a pun intended for the Bullet Club. But number one, Kenny Omega, doing things we've never seen before. Okada. Oh yeah, his, his counterpart, the IWGP heavyweight champion in Japan, that guy is, I mean, you need, right? You need a dance partner to have like five and six star matches. Okada's like the greatest dance partner Omega ever could have asked for. One and two right there. Where do you fit the WWE guys? Cause Meltzer, Meltzer, the expert on wrestling says maybe you have one WWE guy in the top 10 because the rest of the world these days are that, is that great.
1: Yeah, yo, know, cause then you got Koda Ibushi, you got, um, you got, Shinsuke Nakamura, you can throw him in there, but he hasn't been working like that. AJ Styles, um, Adam Cole, I personally, but he's been kind of, he hasn't been working like that this year. Marty Skrull.
0: It's almost like WWE makes, you met, You mentioned two guys, you mentioned Cole and Nakamura, who aren't working like that. It's almost like when you walk through those WWE doors, you gotta wrestle a different style,
1: almost, to a degree. You really do, but, um, you have to learn a whole different system. You know, it's not the indie scene, but, it's a whole different system. You have to fit so people won't get hurt. Because sometimes a lot of guys have a stiffer style, and that you know, with with the schedule like the WWE, you can't you know have that style for that long. You can't expect to have a long career.
0: Well, you mentioned really anybody who should be in that top five. Abushi, the two guys from, from, you know, on top of New Japan. Styles right in that mix. Some people like Seth Rollins. There's, there's a lot of great wrestling going on in the world. But King Mo, this is the MMA edition for a reason. And we had a big card on Saturday night from Las Vegas. Not that big on paper, but I will say this. For a pay-per-view that felt underwhelming coming in, it felt pretty good on the way out. This was an entertaining show from Las Vegas, 216, headlined by the Interim Lightweight Championship bout. Tony Ferguson, a lot of trash talk here, finishes off Kevin Lee by submission. Calls out Conor McGregor in a very colorful, expletive-filled rant. The kind of rant you you, you really want to hear from a guy who makes this big of an impact. Scores his 10th consecutive victory. Is now wearing gold. That's an interim gold. But he's now wearing gold. Your thoughts from the main event last week?
1: Oh, man. Um, That was a great fight. Good back-and-forth battle. Um, uh, Ferguson's
0: legit. Very I, legit. I mean, the guy's tough as balls. I, we can say that on here. The guy is tough as balls, Kingwell. I mean, he's a different animal.
1: Uh, you know, and g- good, good, good grappling, solid wrestling. His stand up is or- or orthodox, but he's a high output, crazy cardio. So, you know, he could take. He gets good, good chin. Um, I thought I, he's gonna be a problem for anybody at 155. Anybody. Um, that was a good fight though. I think Kevin Kevin Lee put put up a good standing. He put up a good showing of himself. He will He's the future. Yeah, I mean, he's cut.
0: only 24, Kimo. And coming in, you and I were saying, like, we don't really know how good he is. I think he showed you while cardio caught up with him, and it could be something due to that weight cut. We'll get to that in a minute. But while cardio caught up to him, I feel like Kevin Lee announced that, like, I'm for real. Like, you're going to be hearing from me again down the road.
1: Yeah, I think maybe it could have been cardio or it could have been just the moment. Could have had an adrenaline dump. Because sometimes the moment, like, he's still young. He's had the moment a few times, but really after – you know, once you hit a certain number of having the moment, you know you don't have like any type of adrenaline issues. You don't get nervous or anxious. I'm pretty sure this is his first time to fight for a big bill at this level, which it was. And he probably got a little nervous, a little anxious, and um, probably burnt. You know, spent too much energy to warm up. Maybe um, you know didn't pace himself and just gassed out a little bit. Well let's get
0: actually let's get right into his weight issues here. So he had a pretty I mean horrific weight cut in the fact that you know they give you those 2 hours on the Friday morning now to to do the early weigh in. He waits until there's about 10 seconds to go, comes out strips down nude is a pound over, looks very disappointed, gets clearance from the doctors to take that extra hour to get that extra pound off. Basically says afterwards that I literally killed myself to do this. Comes back a pound or a half pound under the limit. So he officially can fight. But when he entered that cage, King Mo, on Saturday, you saw the red blotch on the left side of his chest. He admitted afterwards it was a staph infection. A lot of columns are now being written from this because, you know, you mentioned in the past, I've mentioned it, weight cutting is a problem. I mean, how zapped from what he went through? How how much does that – let's not talk about your long-term health issues. Just from Friday to Saturday, how how good can you actually be in the cage when you nearly kill yourself Friday morning just to be eligible for the fight?
1: Well, I could, I could honestly, in my opinion, he's probably he probably probably fought at about forty percent, forty-five percent of his potential. You know, um, bag weight cut. Who knows how? You know, with no IVs, he couldn't rehydrate the way he needs to. Then he had a staph infection, so he had two, stri- three strikes, pretty much. If you know, if that you added up.
0: Well, what does a staph infection do to you? Can you just kind of relate what that?
1: It's an infection, you know that. um it can deal with your cardio. It, it it can affect the way you break digest food. Um give you a little temperature. It has a lot of things. Everyone has different um everyone has different symptoms when it comes to staph infections. It's kind of a blood it's kind of a blood not a blood uh, disease, but kind of a blood infection in a sense. Um but uh he cut weight with the staph infection, he went and fought with the staph infection and he had a bad weight cut. <laughs> That's three things you can't have leading to a big championship fight. Not at all.
0: And some guys would have come out as zombies after that, and we've seen that. We've seen guys have really bad nights. Rafael dos Santos had that real two really bad nights in a row, right, when he lost the title to the Alvarez and he lost to Ferguson. He basically said, I'm, I'm walking into the cage as a zombie. You give Lee credit here because he came throwing bombs, and it wasn't reckless. He came throwing calculated bombs in the first round. He rocked Ferguson. He damn near almost finished Ferguson at the end of the first round when he got full mount in the closing seconds. So that shows you that Kevin Lee's really tough. It shows you that he's that that extra animal that he says he is. But King Mo, he was almost flaunting heading into this fight how he's willing to go through things that other fighters aren't. He's eating you know, before and after the weigh-in, which is a nod at Habib Nurmagomedov, who ate tiramisu on camera before then having weight issues against Tony Ferguson in March when they called off that interim lightweight title fight. So it's sort of like he talked the trash. He backed it up, but what's the price here? I mean, he's talking about moving up to welterweight because this is getting ridiculous. Is somebody going to have to die, King Mo, for, for changes to really happen and really stick? Because there's a major problem right now. We're past the point of just saying it's a major problem. We're seeing it again and again.
1: Yeah, but you know what? It's American culture. Weight cutting started where? American wrestling. And it's, uh, it's something that's not going to change. But the only way it's going to change is if it changes the wrestling culture for the most part. And it kind of has. You look at the, um, what you see in college and high school. They have um, certifications. and do hydration tests. Only to, in freestyle like, you know, at the Olympic level um, freestyle and Greco, that's when you see guys do big cuts because the next day, you have a full day to rehydrate. But you see things already changing, but in MMA um, I think guys feel like, hey since I'm going to weigh in, I can cut weight, come back to fight a lot bigger than my opponent. But they don't realize that it can shorten your career. It could possibly kill you with some people.
0: I mean, it could possibly kill you. And there was a scary sort of weigh-in incident over the weekend in Asia where in Japan where a fighter was like carried to the scale to just barely make weight. It's 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 out of control. I mean, it, it really is out of control. But is the solution, for let's say for the UFC, more weight classes in between? Or is the solution, King Mo, the same issue that I've had with boxing for a while do you just have a different weigh in system meaning you have to meet certain weight thresholds throughout the build up to your camp and then you have to meet that same th- weight threshold on saturday night not friday morning not friday afternoon saturday night so you aren't trying to dump and then add 20 pounds the day before should it just be the weight that you walk into the cage needs to be the weight of your division or is that, i mean is that seems too simple to me and what am i missing here <laughs>
1: When it comes down to it, not everybody's going to be satisfied with the weight if you change the weight classes or if you change the protocols. When it comes down to it, like, all they can do is, like, um, maybe have more rehydration issues or rehydration clauses. Um, I don't know. I don't know what they can do, you know, because people are always trying to find ways around it when it comes down to being the bigger man in the better weight class. They're always going to try to find ways around it. So, um, I don't know, man. But as a I'll... fighter,
0: what, what would be, like, as a fighter, what would be the, the, the best middle ground to, to make, to keep everybody happy? Cause like you said, fighters are always going to try to get the advantage. They're thinking, if I can just suck down, I'll have more power in this weight class. I mean, so do fighters want more weight classes? I think from a fan and journalist point of view, it sort of waters the sport down. From a fighter point of view, is it more opportunities? Is it a healthier option? Is that really the best choice, you
1: think? Well, when it comes down to it, I feel like sometimes people think that more weight classes will water down. The um the sport, in my opinion, it won't because you'll see more mythical matchups. People will ma- master weight class, and you'll see guys be like, "Hey, I'm gonna go down and fight this one guy," or "Hey, I'll go up and fight somebody." So I feel like you'll see more mythical matchups. But I don't know, man. Um, the that's this is a the weight cutting issues is a, is a touchy subject. Now I do have one issue, one thing they could possibly do to change uh change uh the the weight cutting culture. Have same day weigh-ins. You know, you weigh in five hours before you fight.
0: I love that. That that seems that seems to be the the biggest fix for me, right? Like, if you're gonna fight at welterweight, 170 pounds, and you pretty much got to be around 170 when you walk to the cage. That's my like, or when you're two hours before the cage in the locker room. I mean, like, it's just too. It seems too simple because you can't play with it at that point. You're not gonna put back on 20 pounds in one hour, right? Like, there's no playing around. You are you are what your weight says you are. Let's stop this madness. I know some guys like Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Right? His whole boxing run was basically built on the. Fact that he could put on 25 pounds afterwards and be two weight divisions above his opponent—that shortened his career. Like that it short- it shortens guys' lives. This is so stupid. Stop the madness, King
1: Mo. Stop it. Aturogadi versus Joey um, That yeah. was a Arturo Aturogadi came in to, to the ring weighing about 165 and, and and dropped him and ruined his career after that. You Do know, you- I, th- I think really, I think five hours would be great because you know it um, gives you time to rehydrate. Time to eat and digest food. With some people, you know, if you go into a fight dehydrated, which when we all make weight, we're all dehydrated to a certain level. If you go to a fight dehydrated, it increases your chance of getting concussed from a strike. So you'll see a lot of fights ended a lot sooner. You'll see a lot of people, you know, getting, getting you know, severely concussed, you know, from dehydration.
0: When you look up and down your career, was there, a, what's the one fight where you? weren't at your best because of a tough weight cut where you look back and you're like, you know, I sacrificed uh, maybe a potential victory or maybe looking better because it was so difficult.
1: Well, fortunately for me, I stay close to my weight at all times. Heavy for me is like 215. That's heavy. That's heavy for me. You know, usually I'm, I'm, I'm like around 210, 211, you know, 209, 210, you know, whatever. I, I I try not to stay too. I well, I can't get bigger, but I feel like weight cutting weight's overrated in a sense.
0: So I mean, if if somebody else was in your body and your mind, and they were a little bit more dangerous or desperate, c- could you have cut down to middleweight if you like had to to keep your career going? I mean, would somebody else have tried that in your body?
1: Yeah, Well, middleweight. I, I I am a middleweight, but if I'm a middleweight, well, at least pay me more money to cut weight. If I'm a, <laughs> if, I'm a, if, I'm a if I'm a starve myself. And deprive myself of food I like to eat, at least pay me a little more money. That's, hey, that's
0: was... what King Mo said in the pro wrestling promo. He said, you know, these hands, you know, I throw them for cash. That's, that's, that's why you get into this sport. Screw the glory, right? You're putting food on the table. You're, you're, it's a, it's a living.
1: It's a living. You know, and that's why I, I, I'll, I'll cut, you know, I feel like sometimes people have to realize, Hey, like, hey, just fight where you're at. You know, a fight's a fight. Fight where you're at. If you have to cut 25 pounds, that means you're cut, you're in the wrong weight class.
0: Cut, cut it out already. King Bo, let's talk about the fallout here. Now, Tony Ferguson, to me, that's a border, borderline pound for pound performance. I check him in this week at number 10 on my list. You could say, you could say what you want about Kevin Lee, but it's 10 wins in a row against very good competition. I thought Lee, you know, showed himself well in this, and now Ferguson calling out McGregor. He had comments to the MMA Hour on Monday where he's talking more trash, basically saying, quote, Connor needs his ass kicked and we need to unify that belt. Otherwise, he needs to vacate, set it down, walk away, and never effing come back. Because if you go to 170, Connor, if you go to 185, even if you drop to 145, I will effing follow you, Connor, and I will haunt your effing dreams, kid. I will come after you. Okay, so I love that trash talk. That's some pro wrestling stuff. That's some intense stuff. Dana White late Saturday said this. Quote, the fight has to happen. And McGregor, quote, has never turned down an opponent. That sounds all well and good, King Mo. but we also know this business. And guess what? Connor versus Nate Diaz three is probably going to break the UFC pay-per-view record in a year where they need some cash. Put on your promoter hat. Put on your realistic life hat. Tell me who Conor McGregor fights next after Saturday night's
1: card. Here's what they do. They have McGregor versus Diaz and they rebook Ferguson versus
0: Nermega Medvedev. Yeah, that, okay, that's quality booking. Same card? You think maybe December 30th, same card?
1: Same card, come main event. And if it's not December 30th, it'll be early next year. So the the plus in that is you really
0: you really milk, you really milk it. You start to get the fire burning. You show f- casual fans a second time who Tony Ferguson is. And by the way, Ferguson McGregor would be a incredibly great build. I mean, the trash talk would be next level because Ferguson's a scary dude and he can back it up. Do you risk at all though? I guess you don't risk somebody losing because you're still getting the payday if you're UFC of Connor versus Nate three. And that's really the bottom line, right?
1: Yeah. Or, you're a kicker. Or if Gaethje were to beat um, Eddie Alvarez. Eddie Alvarez, yep. At the, um, pay-per-view when they meet up. Have that, have Gaethje versus Ferguson as the come-win event.
0: Oh, God, that would be, you'd need extra doctors on hand for that one, Kingbo. You'd need a, an EMT staff in the cage. Somebody's going to get hurt.
1: Hey, but that's what you do. That's, that's why, that's why you book fights like that. You know, um, you got, you got your showcase fight, Diaz versus, uh, um, McGregor. Everyone wants to see that, but then you have a true hardcore bloodbath. You have a a fight for the hardcore fans. Gaethje versus Ferguson is a fight for the hardcores. So now no one complains.
0: I will tell you what this whole scenario is doing. It's showing us one thing. The UFC lightweight division at this exact second today, right now, is the most exciting division in all of MMA for, for me. I mean, if you could say, what's one division where you can make a tournament and you can just sit back, grab, you know, get your popcorn ready and just enjoy it, this might be it. Because King Mo, I've never seen a division at the moment where everybody can talk trash and everybody can brawl at a high level and everybody's coming not to beat you. They're coming for your soul. Yes, Nurmagomedov is wrestling to take your soul out of your chest. This, is this the best division all of all them made to you?
1: Yeah, that's one of them because you know anything. You know it just depends. Like right now, it's the hottest because all these names are being spoke for. They're they're out there fighting. But it could easily be 185. It could be 170. It could be 205. Just depending on how things match up and who wins and who loses. Heavyweight is is popping up. So it it could be anything. Depends on what you what you what you like and what you prefer.
0: So if this turns into some kind of power struggle in terms of, like, will McGregor defend his title? We've never seen him defend his title. There's two competing things. On one side, McGregor has more leverage right now than any fighter really in UFC history, right? He just made $100 million against Floyd Mayweather. He can do whatever the hell he wants. On the other side, Dana says Connor has never turned down a fight. Those are kind of two things going up against each other. Which one would win? And if that became an argument, the fact that Conor has more money than anyone and can do what he wants, or the fact that he's still trying to portray the fact that he's a tough fighter and will fight anybody, any day, at any weight class.
1: Honestly, I have no idea which is going to prevail. Um, is it come down to uh, I honestly, come down to what Conor wants, what he will do? So is, if to,
0: to, so, if you're Ferguson, I think you really have to keep, you know. Uh, challenging his manhood, right? Every time somebody's going to put a microphone in front of you, you have to keep appealing to that. You have to make this a – because, look, in combat sports, like, yeah, money is the the currency, trash talk is the currency, but sometimes you can really lure somebody into a fight just by embarrassing them, right? Antonio Tarver finally got Roy Jones in there because he was showing up at press conferences interrupting, basically saying, what do I have to do, piss on your front lawn and kick your cats? What do I have to do to get a fight? If Tony Ferguson, like, pulls a Shannon Briggs and shows up at Conor's house in Dublin, I mean – we're probably going to see the fight, right? Like that still matters. Like let's like, okay, this is how you answer King Mo. Let's say some new up and coming light heavyweight in Bellator is like, Hey, I want King Mo. And you're like, yeah, dude, whatever, you know, show me the, show me the money. But then like I said, he starts showing up with a camera crew. He starts embarrassing you. Does that force your hand?
1: Well, here's the, now here's the thing. Connor's in a situation where he has potentially two people doing the same thing. He has Diaz who will bash him and smash him whenever he sees him in front of the, when the, camera, when the camera's around, he'll bash them. On social media, he'll bash him, and so on. Then you have Ferguson doing the same thing. It's going it to come down to who's more believable with their trash talk, Man. depending on who gets to fight, because who seems more believable, Diaz or Ferguson?
0: I wonder if Connor, such a great businessman, I wonder if he ever could be broken in that sense, you know, where the, where the, uh, the calling out could actually force his hand. We'll see. But King Mo, big headlines of course in the Coleman event, Demetrius Johnson, whether... Whether or not the fanfare w- was large enough in this one coming in, not a lot of people talking about this fight because it got rescheduled because Demetrius Johnson is who he is, but you gotta give him credit. He came forth with a spectacular performance, fifth round submission against Ray Borg to break Anderson Silva's UFC record for title defenses. He now has 11. I have not seen that finishing move, so to speak, before King Mo that suplex drop Ray Borg in midair and instantly apply an arm bar to a novice like me. Who's not in the cage rolling around. That was almost a video game move. That was some Houdini magic. How common is that move that you saw DJ
1: pull off in there? Well, it's not very common, but I've seen like a modified version of it where, where, you know, you know, people play the guard and they boot scoot. Well, I saw someone jump over the person's legs, that's boot scooting and land to a land into an arm bar. You know, you know, in order to do something like that, you need to have um some great awareness and some creativity, and that's what the DJ has. He's a to- he's a total package. The best fighter today.
0: I mean, this was incredible because like DJ had to do something crazy in a sense to, to further this, like he, okay, he, if he wins in any form, he breaks the record. But look, there's just not the buzz following him. He doesn't get huge ratings. He doesn't sell pay-per-views, all that stuff, despite the fact that he constantly evolved, despite the fact that he's constantly, you know, doing, showing you every fight a different element to his game. Yet he came off with such an incredible finish in this, in a fight where he pretty much dominated start to finish. And what was most impressive to me, King Mo, was he beat Ray Borg at his own game. And you're starting to see that now, fight after fight. It's almost like DJ's so bored, he needs a reason to train extra harder and get mad. And he got upset that Ray Borg in the interviews leading up said, look, the one area that I'm better than him at is scrambling. He's, he's going to have a problem with me on the mat. I'm going to go for submission. So what did DJ did? He beat him at that element of his game. King Mo, there is not a hole. In this guy's arsenal, I mean, I could not be more impressed than I am right now at 31 years old that he's basically like, "Oh, you have a strength? Let's go, let's go head on with it." I'm not avoiding your strength; I'm walking right into it. We don't see fighters like this. This guy's this guy's playing playing you know chess when we're all playing checkers. It's blowing me away.
1: Yeah, man, it's impressive. But remember this: there's someone. There's always someone out there that has your number or will bring out even more. And I'm not saying there's someone out there who has his number because there might be. But there, there'll be someone out there will pop up within the next year or two that will bring out even more. And you'll see, I'm pretty sure we haven't seen all that we 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 can possibly see from DJ in the in the um the cage. There's some there's somebody out there that'll bring out more, and that we'll we'll, we'll see DJ do things that we haven't seen before in the, in the um in the cage.
0: I mean, the speed is so it's almost freak like. I mean, he was so much faster than Borg, who's in his prime at 24, an aggressive fighter, that it was absurd. And when you mix that with his mind. I don't know if there's a there's a flyweight that can beat him. I mean, he's, see, DJ still talked about wanting to fight Sergio Pettis, who he hasn't. I mean, he's already cleaned out the division, right, twice over. But he's literally picking through and trying to find anybody who can make a good fight with him. So that leads you to say, well, you may have to go back up to Bantamweight to to, to to find any real competition. My question to you legacy-wise is this, though, King Mo? Does he need to go up to Bantamweight? Has this now secured, cemented? his legacy to the point where he could just basically tell everybody, hey, F off, man. I'm the, be- I'm the only flyweight champion in history. I'm the best flyweight in history. I'm the best fighter in the world. I might be the best fighter of all time. Why do I have to chase the money and go beat Dominic Cruz or Cody Garbrandt?
1: Well, when people talk about these um, these legacy questions, I, I, I can't answer them because really legacy is not depending on, on us. It's depending on the future. So when it comes down to his legacy, I'm pretty sure it will be – He'll be greatly, even more appreciated after he's retired in about you know eight years. Who knows? Because you see guys like Matt Hughes. Matt Hughes was a great fighter, but still to this day, people don't really talk about him no more.
0: That's a great because the sport is, is almost evolved past what he did, right? It's it, it's he was so early.
1: Yeah, he's so early, but still, a fight's a fight. Might be early, but he's still a great fighter. You you have guys like um, uh, let's see, uh. Randy Couture, people don't talk about him no more. Um, Rich Franklin gets no love. Dean Thomas gets no love. There's a lot of people out there that are great fighters that they, they get no love. This is no part of the game, man. That's a
0: good point. Uh, so here's the thing on Demetrius: like he's so much better now in my eyes than he was in that initial bantamweight run, right? When he was really good, but but lost to uh, lost to Demetrius. I'm sorry, lost to Dominic Cruz back when he was the WEC champion. He's evolved to the point now I really want to see what it would look like. Like, he doesn't have to go up to 125, 135 and chase these big fights. But I'm kind of intrigued. Could this version of DJ, you know, run back that Dominic Cruz fight and beat him? You know, Cody Garbrandt's talking about maybe coming down to flyweight to chase history and try to do a super fight, and that would be fantastic if he did. But I'm seeing so much from DJ that I'm not sure he would lose even at Bantamweight. Am I just drunk on the moment of his skills? Or is that gap going back up another 10 pounds going to give him issues if he does?
1: Man, only way you can find out is if it happens. You know, um, we can speculate, um, but those guys cut weight to make 135. Mighty Mouse, I heard he doesn't cut much weight to make 125. He seems small
0: for a fly. He he actually
1: seems small for a flyweight. It's incredible. So he's he has the skills, but he's going to be giving a lot of size to these 135 pounds. A lot of size, a lot of height, reach. Even with some wrestling, some muscle, but he'll have the cardio and the speed. But I don't know.
0: Well, it comes down to this: he's Mighty Mouse, right? But he might not be Superman. And if you're facing Cody Garbrandt, let's say at 135, you're going to face a Superman right hand. You know, do you have the strength to avoid that and get out of that if you get if you get taken down, if you get pinned, et cetera, et cetera? Well,
1: well, the thing is, he the strength and the endurance to, to to deal with that over 25 minutes. Well, the. <laughs>
0: That yeah, I mean he he brings a special thing to the cage. The 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 talk, of course, now is you know we look. He's the number he's number one pound for pound for me right now. I think the John Jones situation really is staining how how we look at him today, how we may look at him all time. There's going to be an appeal process. We don't know where that's going. DJ has to be your number one pound for pound today. But I will say on the idea of whether he's now the greatest of all time. At the very least, there's no argument against him, Kingwell. I don't think you can say, well, he hasn't fought the right amount of competition or flyweights are too small, nobody cares. I mean, I don't think there's anything else you can say because even if you like Anderson Silva as the greatest of all time, some of that comes down to the fact that you just liked how entertaining he was. I'm not sure he evolved over time, right? Like when he faced a guy who was a little bit slower than him, he could have fun and pick him apart and do dynamic things. DJ is evolving every fight. He's beating every person at his game. I think that's something that some of these other guys in that category don't have. So I think there's no argument against DJ as the best ever. If you think he is, he might be, right? I mean, I don't think – is there an argument left when you're when you're saying it might be him, it might be GSP, it might be John Jones? I don't think there's anything negative now you can say against Mighty Mouse.
1: No, it's if you can say all it's going to take is time and people, the younger generation to figure that out. They're good, like We can talk about it right now, but they'll be the ones that'll be arguing over it with us, hardcore, in the future.
0: Well, King Mo, we do encourage our listeners to slide in them DMs and hit up the questions that they want answered. We got that one this week from Australia. One of our passionate listeners who also listens to our pro wrestling episode, Omar Al Rashid. The, the, the passionate ones on this show will have heard that name before. He wants to know this, King Mo. GSP's back in the headlines right now because he'll be fighting Michael Bisping in a month. Is there an argument to make for GSP right now still being the greatest of all time? Omar says, for me, he's number one. His ability to completely nullify his opponents and the fact that he cleaned out what was the most stacked UFC division twice is evidence enough for me, end quote. Thank you, Omar Al-Rashid, for sliding in them DMs. King Mo, what do you think about his... Is 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 GSP done enough right now where he is also in that conversation?
1: Yeah, GSP's done enough to be in the conversation. It's just that... He's been, he ain't been around. Don't forget, in combat sports, we're a culture of what have you done for me lately. George has been gone from the sport for about four or five years. So people are like, you know what? George, ah, he's not out, <laughs> out of mind. They're like, out of sight, out of mind. And they're like, you know what? Who's next? Oh, Mighty Mouse is around. He's still doing thing, good big things. We're going to stick behind him. But George was doing what Mighty Mouse was doing before Mighty Mouse was around. I
0: think what everybody's hearing here is the difference. Like, to fighters, these kind of rankings, these legacy things don't matter as much. To journalists, we live for this. We're in the knee-jerk reaction, the 24-7 news cycle. I think, you know, guys like me, I'm not in a cage. The closest I can come is trying to figure out who's the best and having some kind of control. But to the fighters, eh, yeah, right? It doesn't really matter.
1: Yeah, just, the fighter is what it is. The people, let the people talk about it. The people will decide. You know, but think about this. When George first came to the UFC, People are like, oh my gosh, this guy's a supreme athlete. Look how fast he Look how strong he is. He out wrestled wrestlers. He outstruck struck strikers. He, he submitted black belts. He did this. He was doing the same thing Mighty Mouse is doing now. But the, the fact of the matter is he has stepped away from the cage for a few years. People forgot about him. If we're going to so, just,
0: go, if we're just doing GSP versus Mighty Mouse right now, who fought the better competition in your eyes? Is there a debate there? Uh, I think GSP has. That was a loaded division back in the day, and he systematically took those guys out one a- one after another. So Omar did have an interesting point there.
1: Yeah, you know, and and you know, um he had a great point. I think his point, I you can't argue his point either. You know, I'm, when it comes down to it, you can honestly say George and Mighty Mouse are one A and one B when it comes down to the greatest of all time debate.
0: And John Jones has removed himself from my money for the moment from that conversation where what? A month ago, I was telling you, John Jones is back. He's the greatest ever. Don't get it twisted. Now we'll see if he can repair that legacy. I don't think so. But guys, continue to draw, slide in them DMs at B Campbell CBS. Hey, Swan Dive in. Do what you have to do. Get your, let your voice heard. King Mo will answer your question on the air. King Mo, this card Saturday was dedicated by the UFC to the victims of that horrific Las Vegas shooting, which claimed 58 lives. The UFC donated a million dollars to the victims and the families. That was all great stuff. They had an incredible tribute video off the start. I liked all of that. An interesting fallout to that, though. We know country singer Jason Aldean was on the stage when that shooting happened, had to be a horrific moment. Of course, you know, ran in the back, tried, you know, took shelter like everybody else. Dana White offered Aldean, though, a chance to perform at UFC 216 and sing the national anthem, right? Come full circle, come back. Instead, Aldean accepted an offer to go to Saturday Night Live in New York City and play a tribute to Tom Petty, won't back down. Dana never his punches, telling TMC Sports this weekend. Aldean's image was more important than coming back to Vegas and playing for the people who are his fans and who got shot watching him play. F you, Jason Aldean, stay out of Vegas, end quote. King Mo, Dana White goes too far very often. For my money,
1: he went too far again. He definitely did. Now, so what, Out. Al Dean went and did the um, did a um, tribute the tribute song. Well, what song? You won't back down. Yes. Okay. So why he did that? Because won't back down. That song can stand for anything. It can stand for people in Puerto Rico. It can stand for people in Charlottesville. It can stand for the people in the, in Iraq, Iran, people in North Korea. It can stand for the people in South Korea, people in Japan. It can stand for anybody where they will stand together and fight where, fight evil. He stands for the people in Las Vegas as well. Yeah, you know, I feel like Dan White, Um, you know, I maybe he should have been more thought about what he said and kind of been a little um more low-key on his response.
0: And not so to I, mention, look, you got to understand, like, maybe Jason Aldina shook from this. Maybe he doesn't want to come back to Vegas. I mean, he was just, you know, standing on his stage as gunfire went down. It's like, come on, man, you know?
1: Yeah, because who knows what he saw, you know, who knows what the, the trip back to Vegas would trigger, you know, 'Cause I know I know it's like there's people that that witness people there there are there, the bystanders there and the victims there could come out of this with PTSD or any type of some type of a type of um mental trauma, you know, that's those those sites. That's a lot of stuff to handle, man. The
0: wound was very fresh to each their own on how they deal with it. I mean, you give Aldine credit. He, you know, he came public and sang a song that, like you said, could very much be, we won't back down in the face of terror. So Dana White with the foot in his mouth, unfortunately, on this one to round out UFC 216 with a couple one hitters here, King Mo. Fabricio Verdum did not get a chance to fight the Black Beast, right? Or the, You know, uh, I'm sorry. The name is slipping me off the moment. Uh, Derek Lewis. Did not get a chance when Lewis pulled out with a back injury. Just two hours before, they plugged in late replacement Walt Harris. It seemed like a mismatch coming in. It played out like a mismatch, but holy cow! High five to Verdum's jujitsu, which is always top shelf. That submission was pretty sick. Where he took Harris's back, looked like he was going rear naked, and then instantly slid in with the armbar. You impressed by
1: that? Man, I'm very impressed. Like, I've been, I've, I've known Verdum for years. I have trained with him for a few years in the past. When it comes down to Jiu-Jitsu, man, he's the ultimate black belt. And oh, and another thing is, uh, I hope Derek Lewis gets well. You know, um, I know that fight would be a tremendous fight, but hopefully he'll bounce back and uh, they can win it back again.
0: I mean, Verdum's still showing you at 40 that he's still got it. He's always going to be a tough out with that jujitsu. jitsu of course. On the undercard, the the top French prospect that we talked about last week, the fire kid, Tom Dukanwa was uh, – you can call it an upset. I mean, Cody Stammen is also a, a, an up-and-coming prospect. Three-round split decision. Dukanwa really dominated that first round with pinpoint striking. But Stammen's wrestling changed the tenor of the fight. Tough to see a prospect with this much hype go down – but there's something to learn from here at the very least. He wasn't, you know, it didn't seem like he got, you know, he didn't get knocked out. He wasn't fully exposed, but there's certainly something to learn from here.
1: Yeah, he just has to, um, figure out how he can nullify the attack of a strong wrestler. Um, the, the attack, the intensity, the strength, the pace. If you've never dealt with it, you know, the first time dealing with it on live TV is going to be a, a tough one, a tough lesson. So I'm pretty sure you can go back to the drawing board and he'll get with the wrestling coach and go over those areas, especially double A defense, takedown defense, and uh, getting off his back because there are a few times that he just kind of conceded. When he got taken down, he laid flat in his back and was like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna wait and try to wait this out a little bit.
0: Yeah, you definitely don't like to see that. It's early. I mean, he's 24 years old. Stammen, though, showing you, hey, when you're talking about Bantamweight prospects, don't forget him. He may have one of those barbed wire tattoos on his uh, bicep that we've seen in 1997 with Pam Anderson. A little outdated to this day, Cody Stammen, but outside of that, you look like you got you got a good career in front of you. You look like you can do some work.
1: Yeah, he can do some work. Hard-nosed, explosive, athletic, pretty good striker. It's unorthodox, but he can make things work. And uh he's, a, he's unpredictable because he'll come with explosive stuff at random times. So... uh he has a great future on his hands.
0: if We'll see these two tangle again down the road. But, King Mo, that wasn't the only MMA this weekend. On Friday night from Thackerville, Oklahoma, that's the heart of Bellator country, we saw Bellator 184 in the main event. Longtime prospect Darian Caldwell cashes in on his potential by defeating Eduardo Dantes to capture that Bellator Bantamweight title. It was a unanimous decision. There was a lot of wrestling, and because of that, the scores ended up being close. Two of the three scorecards gave it to Caldwell by only one round. He played a little bit safe, but his wrestling was impressive. What do you take from seeing Caldwell there jump up to this level and win gold?
1: Caldwell, he won. He, you know, honestly, it was a tough fight for him. You know, Dante is very well rounded. The fact that, that Caldwell could nullify his like nullify um, Dante's attacks with his wrestling shows that he you know he has he has um, good game playing skills and he can listen to his coaches. Now let's see how, how he evolves. Let's see how he mixes his hands up with his takedowns, mixes up his transitions, like his takedowns to submissions. Because he has the school, he has the skills, let's just see how he evolves with them.
0: Caldwell now 10-1 and 1 as a professional, of course, was a former NCAA Division One national champion wrestler at NC State. What I like about this story is Caldwell bounced back from that kind of loss. When you're a hot prospect, especially with Bellator, you're getting pushed. You're being pushed into high-level TV fights early. He had, it was submitted by Joe T- Tomeglo, right? Is that how you pronounce it? Joe Tomeglo? Joe and in and, and that was like, oh man, is he not who we think he is? And obviously, look, MMA is different from boxing. One loss doesn't doesn't end it as quickly, right? Doesn't doesn't expose you. But he bounced back, won it back in the rematch. Seems to be improving and evolving. This guy, in your eyes, c- can he be, you know, the class of this division in the long run? You know, talking about all the, you know, at Bellator and UFC, does he have that kind of potential to really keep growing?
1: Man, ain't, anything, you know, anything is uh, possible. I. This guy's very talented. He's always been at the top. And anything he's done, wrestling-wise, and he's always been at the top. And you've already seen him do that in MMA already. He's a, he's a
0: fun fighter to watch on Bellator. A lot of young fighters coming up from MVP to to James Gallagher out of Ireland, who seems like a McGregor clone. He's going to have a main event opportunity coming up soon to really further announce himself. But, King Mo, I wanted to close this week not with MMA or pro wrestling, but with boxing. We love to talk about that. I don't know if you caught that 30 for 30 movie on ESPN that's making the rounds about Tommy Morrison. But a holy crap, was this entertaining? Was it horrifically sad? Because I'm not sure everybody knew what the last years in Tommy Morrison's life was like when he, you know, unfortunately died of of HIV down the stretch there. But this movie evoked a lot of emotions and reminded you about the good old days. Did you get a chance to catch this? I did not see it yet. You got to check this out, King Mo, because – Tommy Morrison's legacy is interesting, right? Like, he won a heavyweight title. We also know that he came up short in a lot of his biggest opportunities, whether against Lennox Lewis or when he was knocked out a year earlier by Michael Bent to lose the initial shot to fight Lennox Lewis. But what this reminded you of is, look, back then in the 90s when we're watching boxing, you didn't have the 24-7 news cycle, right? You couldn't go to boxing websites. There was no internet, right? You didn't know anything that was going on unless it was on SportsCenter at that moment. I forgot – To be honest, how good Tommy Morrison actually was at his peak. But what this movie exposed was that how troubled he was and how his own demons really like, you know, they propped him up a couple nights for his biggest fights and got him in shape. But it was really hard to keep this guy on the straight and narrow, had the alcohol and drug issues, had two wives at one point, King Mo. I mean, this guy was living it up.
1: Man, you know what? The rise and the fall. That's what everybody wants to see. The rise and the fall of a star.
0: Absolutely. What this movie showed me was like the good old days. Now, King Mo, we were relatively the same age here in our late 30s. We we grew up in that prime of 90s heavyweights. We know that the 70s is the golden era of heavyweights with with uh, Muhammad Ali, George Foreman. Right. I mean, you're talking about like across the board, all killer Joe Frazier. Everybody was tough. But the 90s. It might be the second greatest decade in boxing history for heavyweights. Like, I think we were spoiled and we didn't realize it. And this movie, when you go back and relive some of these fights, really helps you remember that. I mean, holy crap. Look at the roster back then of not just the top end guys, not just the second chapter of Mike Tyson's career or prime Holyfield or that short run where Riddick Bow was unbelievable or Lennox Lewis or George Foreman. How about that second tier of guys? That's what we obviously miss in today's heavyweight game. The fact that there were no easy outs. Ray Mercer, are you kidding me, right? Michael Moore, Tommy Morrison, these guys are
1: absurd. It's Bird. Abe I, I Abucci, the Cliscos were there at the time. Joe Hip, Ross the Boss Purity. David you know, Tua's coming up. I mean, it. it's... David Oh uh, Yeah. Joe Macy. There are a lot of people, man. Yeah, you're right. Back then... The 90s heavyweight division – actually, 90s boxing period, there were, no, there, were no tough, there were no easy outs whatsoever. There were killers all
0: around. That may have been the last true glory period for boxing. Like Obviously, in the 2000s, we had some moments. We had some big fights. We had the Floyd run. But that might have been the last true glory period. And, it, and I think a lot of it is that was back when Don King and Bob Aram were, were the two main promoters. And maybe they were screwing the fighters. And No, no not maybe. Don King was definitely screwing the fighters, but they never screwed the fans. You got great fights all the time, but you also got great fights on regular TV. And you also, King Mo, I don't know if you remember, like, turning into SportsCenter as a kid. Let's say it was 91 and it was George Foreman versus Evander Holyfield. SportsCenter would lead for 45
1: minutes about the fight. Like, no fooling around. It still mattered back then. Well, the thing is, the mentality of the fighters has changed. You know, the 90s you saw more killers. Think about it. You saw killers. If you look at the highlights, like if you look at the boxing highlights in the 90s, you saw people get destroyed, smashed, obliterated. But now you see guys take knees. You see guys like, you know, get counted out. You know, I, I just feel like it's a different mentality. I don't know what changed, but it's a different mentality from the past till now.
0: Well, they always say, you know, so goes the sport as the heavyweights go in boxing, and that's true. And there's a lot of reasons why, you know, you have such a a boom in the 90s. Here's my sort of take on that. You have that heavyweight boom in the 90s, maybe, because a lot of those guys grew up in the 70s watching Ali, Frazier, Foreman, watching that incredible Ken Norton, the incredible run of guys. So it was... You know, it was something that was your natural dream growing up. If I can't play, you know, in the NFL, I might go to my g- boxing gym. Obviously, there's more boxing gyms on every corner. It was a different culture. But Burt Sugar's comments that that always get brought up, the late Burt Sugar, the boxing historian, may be true. You know, the best heavyweights in, in the 2000s were playing linebacker in the NFL. Like, that's sort of where it became evolved to. So you got to ask yourself this. Why? Why did that happen? King Mo? Was it head injury? Was it the beginning of understanding what head trauma does? Because if you're growing up a generation later, you see Muhammad Ali, unfortunately he can't talk. Like, you know, unfortunately he's got problems at that point. You see Joe Frazier, you see Tommy Hearns, any of these guys, you listen to an interview with
1: them, you go, do I want to be that at age 50? Remember, remember Harlem Knights? Oh yeah. Taxi. I mean, I'll never forget that. And I was like, I was thinking to myself, oh my gosh, that's, he's a playoff Ali. He's a playoff that's a Ali. Good point. You know? Like, you, the, the, you see people with the speech slurring and uh, bad memories, and, you know, it, I think that's what changed boxing, really. People, yeah. people grew up watching Ali, and they kept on growing. Their kids grew up, and their parents talk talking about, oh, I saw a boxer Ali. He was doing the rope with up He did this, did that. He's amazing. Watch him. The kids watch him. They see Ali slowly start to go out of his prime, retire, and they see him with these um, speech issues, you see them with the brain trauma, and they start to think to themselves, you know what, my kids are not boxing. They will play football, they play hockey, but I don't want to see them end up like Ali. And I'm pretty sure that's that's a that's a big factor in in the decline. And of you got to think
0: about it. Okay, so let's be honest. Let's have a real discussion here. Boxing's
1: not any safer
0: now than it was in the you know in the 70s or 80s, but fighters are not taking apart as many gym wars, right? They're not, you know, taxing themselves out in their late teens, early 20s like they were back then. They're not fighting four or five times a year anymore like they were back then just to make ends meet. You can make more money on the higher level, which means you only have to fight twice a year or once a year. I mean, that's frustrating for a fan. But at the same time, fighters aren't chasing glory as much. And it's a problem for the entertainment of the sport. Guys like Ali, guys like Sugar Ray Leonard – They went after the biggest, toughest fight available every single time. Those guys couldn't live, King Mo, with the idea that the fans thought somebody was better than them. It was really – yeah, it was about the money, but it was about the glory and the legend. Maybe because they grew up at a time when boxing was still you know, the number two, three, four sport. Nowadays, people aren't chasing that glory as much. They're chasing a payday to get out of poverty sometimes. They're chasing a chance to to be rich and and have a good career, but they're not like, let me – Go into this war, and three months later, let me sign up for another war. It's a different landscape. Is that better for the health? Yes, but it's not better for the sport, unfortunately. And that's the a dicey proposition, right?
1: Yeah, but if you look at if you look at the mentality of today's athlete compared to the mentality of the past, that's just just the evolution of sports in general. You see more more people instead of chasing great instead of chasing um, greatness, chasing the paycheck because they understand okay, I can chase greatness and be great. But then Lee, the sport broke.
0: And unfortunately, all of our great heroes, right, going back 50, 60 years, we're talking about uh, Joe Lewis at the end of the days was broke working the door at a Las Vegas casino, right? I mean, even the great Sugar Ray Robinson, who owned so many restaurants, nightclubs, and businesses, was broke on the way out. It's, it's a
1: it's a tough lifestyle. Joe Frazier as well. Um, died in, I heard when he died, he was living out of his gym. The gym he owed, so... You know, so we painted the darker
0: half of it, but to relive on that documentary, and I encourage everyone, including you, King Mo, to get a chance to see it, it does remind you when it still mattered. I mean, when you have to fight a guy like Ray Mercer to get to the next level, do you remember 1996, Madison Square Garden, Ray Mercer versus Lennox Lewis? My favorite Lennox Lewis fight, a 10 round war. He was lucky to walk out of that with a victory. Ray Mercer was a guy who was a bulldozer. You could not knock him out, but yet had the Olympic Pedigree behind him, the guy. I mean, this is you kidding me? The guy, like, if Ray Mercer was a, was around today, he would have knocked the knocked Vladimir Klitschko out. I know they fought when Ray Mercer was at the end of his career, but if he was around today, he would have been the champion for a decade in this in this current climate.
1: Merciless Ray Mercer. Now I knew he was legit when he came out to. I got the power by snap. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I knew he was legit. Once was was I heard him come out, <laughs> I've got the power. I knew he was legit because uh, carried that power in his left hook. And that big right hand of his.
0: And his knockout of Tommy Morrison, right when Morrison was on the way up, was as savage and brutal. I mean, that referee hung Tommy out to dry. You remember that one? Yeah. Uh, uh, I remember that Tommy against the ropes. Tommy it, it, took like five extra flush shots. like that, that did more to shorten a guy's career than anything else. Holy cow. Yeah, yeah, that that was vicious. But Tommy bounced back, and you know, of course, went on to win a title when he outpointed George Foreman. That was the peak of his career. He used movement. He used distance. You know, before Foreman knocked out Michael Moore to win the title, you know, Tommy really showed you something. And that movie exposed what I didn't know. I mean, he was groomed to be a boxing champion from his you know elementary school days. I mean, he was put in tournaments all around the country. Again, that's the thing that doesn't happen today. You know, it happens in the inner cities, but there's not a boxing gym in every corner. It's a different lifestyle altogether. Hey, MMA is the new, though. Our kids are growing up in jiu-jitsu classes. Maybe that's not a bad thing.
1: Yeah, but, you know, at, but at the same time, I feel like that'll be good in the long run, but you'll see a lot of decisions. You'll see a lot of guys that go out there. They're fighters. They have mentality as fighters, but they're not the athlete. People want spectacular stuff, so I feel like you should put your kid, if you want your kid to be a fighter, yeah, okay, groom him to be a fighter. But put my other sports as well, you yeah, know. Be well-rounded. No more specialists, right? I I feel like because that's you know back in the day when I was coming up, it was you know everybody was playing all sorts of sports. Now kids are becoming specialized in their sport. I think it's going to change. You guess it's going to go full circle. Well, King Mo, we
0: came full circle on an impressive offering of MMA and much, much more. You can follow us on social media at King Mo FH. Yes, Twitter, Instagram. Hit them up at B Campbell CBS. King Mo, I want to see you back in that gym. I want to see you back in the cage. And I want to see you on Pop TV, hopefully again as this angle heats up on Impact Wrestling.
1: Hey, you know, anything's possible. We can, we can make that happen. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing. We're going to see. We're going to see. Well,
0: heal up from your injuries. Get back out there. King Mo, any message for the fans on the way out?
1: Get them two words. Go ahead and say it. We out.